Okay, so for those who have not been here for a while, uh, we are smack dab in the middle of a substantial series on firming up a foundation of our faith and doing that through various ways. We've had messages on uh, the sacraments, baptism to come. We've talked about personal devotion, rightly dividing the word of truth. We've talked about worship, talked about a number of things. And uh, we're now going to talk about something that is essential. Listen, friends, this is essential. This is something that has fallen by the wayside, become a thing of the past, and it needs resurrection. It needs resurrection. The ability for a believer in a succinct, clear, and convicting way, share their personal testimony with authenticity. This is important. We have opportunities to follow where however many of you wants to, we're going to make sure that we do what we can to help you put together a succinct, clear, convicting authentic personal testimony, regardless of how long you've been with the Lord. Generationally speaking, I'm speaking to grandparents and great-grandparents. The time has come and now is where you should be, and we'll help you at the church to whatever extent we can. You should be videotaping your personal testimony for your grandchildren and great-grandchildren to come. They need to know from whom they come and to whom they belong. And if they're not hearing it in this current phase of their life, they need to hear it from you. You have a spiritual legacy to steward and you must do the right thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing. You need to share the gospel in your personal testimony to your family that you will no doubt leave behind. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're talking about today, personal testimony. The title of this message is testimonially, which I don't actually think is a word. It's not a word. But I won't be the first person to speak in public that has used a made-up word. So I'm using it today because all of my messages end in A-L-L-Y, whether they're words or not, doesn't matter. Every following, how many of you need one of those faith in action sheets? Raise your hand and the lovely Kim Johnson will come. Shelly needs one. Some of uh, Briella needs one. Keep them raised high. All right, let's go with the first comment there. Every follower of Christ, you know what every means in Greek, don't you? It means every. Every follower of Christ should be ready to give an accounting. An accounting. I like that word, Uh, to reconcile one's books, right? You need to give an accounting. Now, I'm gonna say this, uh, and I'm probably not far off. Based on what I know, and I don't know that much, there's probably less than 10 people, and I'm being nice, less than 10 active evangelists in this church. That is... Incredibly sad thing to say, but true. And we need to be able to give an accounting 
to others. Maybe 15. We need to be able to give it an accounting of others of what we believe and why we believe it. Every follower of Christ has a personal testimony. I don't care if you've been a believer for one day, you, need, you have a personal testimony and you need to be able to share it. So I'm gonna help you with that today. 1 Peter 3, 15, usually is what's quoted, but 16 is a verse I wanna to add to it. This is very important, look at your paper. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If you have any hope whatsoever, you should be able to articulate that hope to other people. All right, number one. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is where the world misses out. We're killing each other out there verbally. It's ridiculous. It would grieve and it would and does grieve the heart of Christ to see the way Christians talk with one another, not alone with one another, but with the world. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Don't think for one second I'm not gonna miss the opportunity to preach to these high schoolers over here. We need, the kingdom needs, God needs for you not to be uncertain, but certain. Not to lack confidence, to be full of it. This world does not have the time to wait upon our young people in the church to figure out whether we believe or we're fair weather believers or we believe in certain circumstances and we don't in others. We need you to be full of confidence and know what you say, when to say it, and say it with conviction. Oh, and by the way, you're gonna pay a price for it. You will pay a price for it. All the more reason you need to know what it is you're going to say and how you're going to say it. You want it to be the most effective thing you could possibly do to minister to others and expect in this current spiritual climate opposition. In fact, if you don't receive opposition, my guess is you're throttling back a little too much. If you can't get this culture to oppose Christianity, you might need to Give it a little gas. You're, you're hiding in the bushes like Adam and Eve. So we need our young people to be sure. Uh, most of the biggest things that we have difficulty with it in, in adolescence are, is articulating what it is we believe or think. We need to get past that. We need to get past that and be able to articulate our personal testimony, period. Our personal testimony is a tool to overcome the opposition. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, but they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Might as well go ahead and tell you, if you haven't already caught on, when, when you go out into this world to minister to people and share the gospel and give a reason for the hope and do it with gentleness and respect, Jesus promises you're gonna get persecution and it's going to come. And you have to realize from the get-go, it really isn't about you. It's not. It's about those we're ministering to. So I'm gonna go through a passage now and like I have the last three or four weeks, you get two sermons, for, two for the price of nothing because they're all free. But I'm giving you a two for today because I like you. 
Not only are we going to look at a passage, we're going to try to pick up some tips on how to get something out of the passage. And then we're going to look at this man's testimony and figure out how we get a testimony on it. This is a two for Sunday. John 9, 1 through 27. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Speaking of Jesus, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's interesting. This guy was blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He is the light of the world, even to those in darkness. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the other man's eyes. On the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So that man went and washed and came home seeing. For those of you who have been to Israel, it's a reminder, this, this blind man with mud on his eyes walked about a half a mile straight almost downhill past the city of David to the bottom where Hezekiah's tunnel is to Pool of Siloam. He's going to have to walk all the way back uphill to get to the Temple Mount area. And he's going to do it with sight. I can hardly walk down there with two eyeballs. How this dude made it down there in darkness, I have no idea. After saying this, been on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put on the man's eyes. Interesting. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man that used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he, he looks like him. He only looks like him, but he himself insisted, no, I am the dude, I'm the guy, I'm the man. I was the guy that was blind. All right, a couple questions. What in the world are we talking about with the spit on the ground? Is Jesus like a baseball player? Was he a shortstop? What is this? Let's get some spittle and some dirt. He had just been writing in the dirt over there in the previous chapter, if you noticed, the woman caught in adultery. And we're going to mix those two things together, put it on this guy's uh, orbital sockets and uh, send him a downhill only to come back uphill. Let's just say for a second that we're talking about the fact that nobody recognized this dude because, in all likelihood, he didn't have any eyes. You ever see what happens to somebody when, you, when they change their eyes? I can't imagine when you get eyes. But from where was man formed? From the dust of the ground. And from what did Jesus potentially form this guy's eyeballs from the dust of the ground? He's kind of an old school, Old Testament guy anyway, isn't he? So let's just say for the sake of conversation, it doesn't have to be this way, that he actually created eyeballs right there with spit and dust. I wouldn't put it past him, would you? Now this guy, I mean, there's all kind of intricacies involved in this. Um, I guess the connecting to nerve ending. I mean, I can't even begin to think what else involved in this program here. Uh, turning on that section of the brain to be used for the first time. 
Maybe that's why he had to walk so far. There's a lot going on there. So the guy, let's see, let's just say he recreated his eyes, sent him away to wash, and he comes back. Verse 10, they say, how then were your eyes open? They asked, and he replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where's the man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. All right, so he either had eyes or you had eyes recreated. Whatever the case may be, the guy can see. Now they're wanting to know, are they celebrating with the guy about his new sight? Are they all pumped up about that? Are these Pharisees jacked up about the idea that this guy can see? No. They're more concerned about the day of the week. Okay, that right there is a recipe to kill a church. Well, you're more worried about the day of the week than the fact that dude can see for the first time in his whole life? I mean, these are the religious leaders that people are looking up to. I would say they have negative compassion. I would say serial killers have more compassion than these religious leaders. And I'm not kidding. They literally skip the part where he can see. They're worried about the Sabbath. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, and now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man said, and I wash, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, that man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now we've talked about this before, so I'll not go into that. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? For they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. He's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received the sight from, until they sent for the man's parents. Now we're going to get his parents involved. Is this your son, they asked? Now they realize, hey, these guys can kick us out of the synagogue. I mean, they can kick us out of the synagogue. They can take away our social life. They can take away our commerce, our connections. They can take away a lot of things from us. We know he is our son. The parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now and who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age, for he will speak for himself. His parents said to this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders for already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, here it is. This is his personal testimony after just a day or two. Hey, whether he's a sinner or not, I just... I don't know. I don't know about that. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What do you know? What, what one thing do you know? We live in a world where you're supposed to know a lot of things. You're supposed to know a lot about a lot. 
Even if you don't know a lot about a lot, you pretend like you know something. And even if you only know a little bit, sometimes you pretend like you know more. Nobody in this culture is too open to the fact they don't know about something. And we'll fake it till we make it. Most people do. But I'm not asking you this, nor is the scripture. What's the one thing that you know? Beyond doubt, beyond anything, what's the one thing you know? The one thing this guy knew, the one thing he knew for sure is he was blind, but now he sees. That's his personal testimony. As complex as we want to make them, that's it. I, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What would happen if Christians in this country figured out what the one thing they weren't willing to sacrifice, the one thing that was the most important thing, the most treasured thing, the most non-negotiable thing, the one thing they're willing to die for? What if that one thing could be articulated to others with gentleness and respect? What one thing would make a difference in this country? I was blind, but now I see. A personal testimony starts with what was. And you don't have to go on and on about it. What was in your life? Now, it could be a testimony of your salvation. What, what was way back when for some of you or way back when, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago for others of you, what was? Go back to the was. What were you? Angry? Enraged? What were you? Distracted? Unloving? What were you? Prejudiced? A bigot? What were you? A drunkard? What were you? Checked out? What were you, an absent father? What were you, an absent mother? What were you? Bad husband? What were you, criminal? I don't know what you were, but start with what you were. What was you? Start there. I once was blind. We're not talking more than 24 hours for this guy. What were you? What were your attitudes? What were your skewed needs? as you perceive them? What was your lack of understanding? What was your misconception about God? What were the barriers between you and living the life you wanted to live? What, what were your dreams that just now looking back seem absolutely ridiculous? What were those things in your life? Get in touch with it. Oh, and get in touch with them because the people you're going to speak with and share your testimony are in touch with those things. Get in touch with what they have in touch with their past and their present and connect. You say, well, I'm a teenager. It doesn't matter. What were you two years ago? Two years ago for you was a large part of your life. It was a large percentage of your life. If you take a 15-year-old and discount the first five years of development, they've been alive basically out in the world for 10 years. Two of those years is 20% of their life. What were you two years ago? That's a big deal. That's a long time ago. For some of us, it was two minutes ago. Two years, two minutes. What were you? And how were you blind? 
What could you not see? Though it was right in front of your face, what could you not see? And it probably has something to do with Jesus Christ. Tell people what you couldn't see, who you used to be. That's all you gotta do. Those of you who were led to the Lord in, your, in the embryo status, embryonic status, it seems like. You've been Christian your whole life. You can't differentiate between playing with building blocks and dolls and, and worshiping Jesus. Wonderful, who were you? You were someone who was blessed beyond measure with something that I, I wish everyone had. An understanding so early in life of the ability to see God for who he actually was. Who was I? I was a person who was blessed with parents who helped me to see for my own self who God was. I, I don't, I'm not embarrassed of that. That's not a bad testimony. That's the best testimony. You will be saved, you and your household. You're, 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 a, you're ahead of the game. You're, you're blessed beyond measure from the get-go with an understanding, with an awareness, with an insight, with a personal development, with the nearness of God, with the protection of God, the favor of God, the word of God. Don't ever be embarrassed of that. Be proud of that. Who are you? You're tested. Your faith has been tested much longer than most. You're seasoned. You have a good testimony. I tell you what, not every testimony needs to be filled. Sometimes if you think about it, we get to glorifying sin in a testimony like, we, like it's some sort of trophy. Like the amount of sin we have is somehow makes us more radically saved. No, you're everyone's radically saved. Who were you? Be proud of it. All right, that's the was. Now what's the is? What happened? What happened the moment you asked for forgiveness? Whatever you think that was. Or I'm not asking who you were. What happened to you? Who happened to you? When did that happen? Tell somebody. Tell a story. Paint a picture. Use simple language. Don't use Christian words. Not if you can avoid it. It's okay not to know everything about the doctrine of the faith. Don't set a false standard for the other person. People already think they have to know so much about the faith or so much about the Bible to come to Christ. This guy didn't even know who Jesus was, had never seen him before for crying out loud. How about that criteria? Some people are demon-possessed and they came to Christ, wanted to follow him. Like, if a person you're ministering to has this misconception that they have to have a knowledge base to come to faith, please, don't tell them how much you knew. Tell them how much you don't know or didn't know at the time. That's your testimony because they're gonna relate to that. What happened? And who are you now? Well, I can see a little better. I can see life, my life with mission, with love. I have purpose. I have a different identity. I see myself different. I have a different image of myself, a different understanding of why I'm on this earth. I, I'm, I'm operating in a different way. I have different priorities. Uh, he, who I was with my attitude, he saved my marriage. He, he restored my family. He restored my finances, brought my business back, what, whatever. Whatever God did, the what, what was and then what happened and then 
Who are you now? Keep it as simple as that, my friend. And then maybe a little bit about the future. Now, I think everybody should have a short version of that. You should be able to share that between the third floor and the tenth floor in an elevator. Boom. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was a raging lunatic, but now I'm just a lunatic. <laughs> That's progress, huh? <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Progress is all we're looking for here. We're not looking for messiahship. We're not looking for messiahship. We already have a Messiah. You don't have to be that. You just have to be growing in Christ, different than who you used to be and different now of who you're going to be, okay? Now, throw, throw all kind of odd situations in there. Uh, a family that goes through an incredible trial, incredible trial. Uh, a marriage that goes through an incredible furnace, Loss of a son. What's, what's more difficult than a parent burying his child before they go? I mean, enduring a sickness, overcoming this, overcoming that. I mean, they're, they're, they're peppered throughout this congregation, stories of overcoming. So it may not be a testimony of salvation. It's, this is, we were a total normal family and then this happened and now this is where we're at and we're different as a result of the test, the tempering, the purification. The, the dross is gone, we're different. We have different priorities now. Acts 7, Stephen shares his testimony. Acts 22, Paul's defense in front of a mob in Jerusalem. Acts 27, Paul shares his testimony with King Agrippa. Again in Philippians 3, John 4, the woman at the well. How long has she known Jesus? I mean, just one encounter. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He covered the what was. And she, in the present moment, said, I can't not recognize the fact he told me everything I ever did. Come see this guy. You, you got to see this guy. That's a testimony. Now, you need the short version. A lot of people nowadays, let me tell you, I do this for a living. They don't want the long version. When most of you were coming up, uh, disorders and maladies and people's ability to pay attention wasn't even an issue. And you, a lot of you came up, if you didn't pay attention, you got hit across the head. Now, it's a medical thing. Nobody pays attention. Did you hear me? Were you paying attention? <laughs> we have to understand that the long version sometimes isn't maybe the thing we need right out of the gate. We need the short version. We need to earn the mid version and graduate to the long version. Less can be more. Where words are many, sin is not absent. Proverbs 10 and 17. Sometimes you can talk a lot and not really say anything. Sometimes you need to read the person you're talking to, share who you were, what happened, who happened to you, and who you are now. You want to invoke with a testimony enough information for people to want more information. 
How many of you have ever been to a Frank Sinatra concert? Raise your hand. Really? That's great. All three of us. <laughs> Wonderful. Frank Sinatra, to my understanding, never did an encore. He never did an encore. He always wanted his audience coming back for more. That's what a testimony is. A testimony is enough information for someone to go, wow. I want to hear more about that. What, what was that all about? That's interesting. I don't hear that often. Now I'm starting to understand why you are the way you are and why you're different than everyone else. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about that. But you give them the whole story. If you start, if you start with when you were nursing, okay, numb. No one's paying attention. Less is more. Stir up curiosity. Ask questions and know when to stop. Pull back. Wait for requests, permission, encouragement. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? This is what the blind man, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. <laughs> I like this guy. Hey, I told you already, you didn't even listen, you people. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? A little sarcasm there for the guy. He's got a little spring in his step. He's seeing now maybe a little more humorous than he used to be. I ask you a question. What was the formerly blind man's greatest sense? Of the five senses, what, what would we gather as the former blind man's greatest sense, most developed sense? Hearing. No doubt. Everybody knows that those who are blind can hear with incredible... Look at Ray Charles. I mean, people that are blind can hear 10 times better than we can see. So it's astounding to this blind man that he had to say something twice to people right in front of him and they couldn't remember what he said five seconds later. Okay, now, what's your most developed of the senses? And the answer is sight. And what kind of game are we playing here? Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. We're visual in strength. He's auditory in strength. How would he recognize Jesus upon his return from the pool? Only by hearing he'd never seen him before. All he's wanting to do is listen for the tone, the timbre of his voice. There's a lesson there, my friend. Do you remember what I was dogging you with 168 hours ago, almost to the minute. You need to have your personal quiet time, your personal devotion in the morning. I said personal. Why? To develop your ability to hear the voice of God, which is primarily spoken through the medium of the word of God. Then I jumped on some of you and said, the voice of God first. 
not your Bible study, not your girls group, not your prayer group, not your conspiracy theories. God first. Not your prophets, not your news channels. God first. Who did he listen for? God first. All the more reason to send him down there. Send him back. Seen with 2020 vision, but not being able to recognize Jesus for anything. Only to hear his voice. Wow. I want to party with that guy. I want to be like that guy. I want, don't you, the testimony where the voice of God is clear as a bell? Think of it. You don't have to wonder about decisions to make. You don't have to wonder about what to do and when to do it. You're encouraged. John the Revelator had to turn around in the book of Revelation in the first chapter. Turn around to see a voice. The voice to him was so real. After, after writing the book of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, after writing the scripture, the voice of God was easier for John to turn around and look at than the face of Christ that he spent three years with. He has spent more, he has spent 63 years hearing the voice of God, three years walking with him in the Judean Palestinian area, Palestine area. He had got so conditioned to hearing the voice, he no longer needed to see the one he spent three years with. He turned around to see a voice. If you're ever pastoring a church and you're ever talking to the Lord about what really matters when you stand up here and speak on a weekly basis, if you really want to know and cut through all of the bureaucracy and all of that and all the things people want to hear and all the things you hear on the internet and every preacher on the television, if you get right down to it, what are you going to want your congregation to actually, actually embrace? A greater sense for the hearing of God's word than the seeing of God work. If you ever pastor a congregation, if you ever mentor someone, you ever disciple someone, and you're going to part ways at some point in time, what you want is to look back and say, they're going to be okay because they can hear the voice of God. Because if you can hear the voice of God, you'll act upon it. If you see it on a piece of paper, you might not. What's going to save a remnant of adolescents in this country who are standing up for Christ? Everybody's praying that we see signs and wonders. Nothing wrong with that. And we have. But what we need are ears that have spiritual ears that have yet to have been corrupted that can still hear the voice of God for themselves, not through their parents, for themselves. Not like we, we have reality TV where you live your life through someone else. For yourself. For yourself. Not the bachelor or the bachelorette. For yourself. You're living your life for yourself. Why do you think these television shows come your way? So you can live a life that you don't have access to 
that takes place in your head, so we watch it and we think we're actually living something we're not. Why do you think we need to go to counseling? The voice of God. I semi-like the show The Voice instead of American Idol because they don't pick based on appearance. Pick based on quality of sound, the voice of God. Well, this blind man could hear God's voice. He had memorized God's voice. He could feel the vibrations of God's voice. He could hear it above something louder and profoundly changed his life. I once was blind, but now I see. His testimony also is, I once could only hear, but now I want to hear more. Which of the five senses is most underdeveloped in your life? If you're like most people in this culture, it's hearing. It's too much. It's just too much going on. We hear, but we don't listen. We hear at such a superficial level that we forget, as though we never heard. But God's looking for the person who would listen. Listen to what? Listen to the pain in another person's voice. Listen to the emptiness. Listen to the desperation. Listen for hope. Listen for permission to love them, share with them. Listen to their hurt, which used to be anger. Listen to their loneliness. You've got employees that work with you, some of you. Go back and listen a little more closely and you'll hear what needs to be heard because I know you want to minister to them. I know you want to encourage them. I know you want to bless them. Listen, listen, listen. Listen to this scripture. Read it out loud to yourself at your house. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen closely. And share your testimony. When he says, I once was blind, but now I see. It has multiple ramifications. His greatest fear, I guarantee you his greatest fear going forward. He doesn't even have a Bible and won't have one for 50 years. This guy's greatest fear is that he's lose his ability to hear and to listen to others. He's he's blessed, but he's cursed at the same time. Now he's going to see people, but potentially not listen to them. He's going to be more like us. This week, my friend, listen to people. Listen closely. Underneath 
the general malaise of anxiety and disruption. Truly listen. Slow it down. Ask people to repeat themselves and listen. We see them, but we don't hear them. This guy taught me that. So as our worship leaders would come back up and join me, please. There's something that is needed in people's lives today. That's truly needed, but unfortunately it's avoided. It used to be change. Everybody wants change, wants to talk about change, but nobody wants to change. That's still true. But there's something that's replaced change at an even more uh, intense level. There's something that we all need, that we seek to avoid at any cost. In fact, we live our lives and plan our lives in a way so, so that we don't have to deal with this one word. It, because this one word is the opposite of what we, what we want more than anything, which is comfort and convenience and safety. But this one word violates the potential of those things really happening in our life. This word, if embraced, would bring about change and growth. And it's, it's visible throughout the Bible. And it starts with a D. We don't have time to go through all the D words, so I'll tell you. You need I need, we need, this nation needs this one word. And we're going to get it. We're going to get it. The question is, will we know what to do with it? The question is, do we have any practice dealing with this one word so that we leverage it for good instead of uselessness in the word? is desperation. How stinking desperate are you on behalf of other people? Question mark. Because if you're not desperate, if you're not a desperado, I would gather that not a whole lot's gonna change. I would say you can pretty much predict based on our retirement, these, these are not negative things, but based on our retirement accounts, some savvy in the stock market, halfway decent balance in the bank, and for the most part, people in your family staying healthy, you can pretty much coast. You really can. Outside a Great Depression or something, you're coasting. And we've earned that. But what right do we have to coast when people are going to hell? That's, not, that's kind of a question I think is pertinent. 
can we coast and 10 to 15 people in this country get blown apart every day? Can we coast? Where is the desperation? No desperation, no need for a testimony. And if you don't surround yourself with desperate people, you're pretty much coasting. You should be a magnet for desperate people. This church should be a magnet for desperate people. We look for desperate people all over the world. Desperate because they're being persecuted, because they can't share their faith, because they can't worship and sing at any decibel level that you would hear beyond a closet. We look for those people. We come alongside of them. and We listen to them. Where is your desperation? Because you open up the New Testament, it's difficult, my friend, to get one chapter at a time read without seeing desperation. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to get desperate. More desperate than our comfortability factor sharing the gospel or our testimony. More desperate than that. Let's let these young people lead us as we think through our ability to hear God and act upon his word.